0: twitter i'm saeed jones he is isaac fitzgerald i'm in a great mood you're watching am to dm <laughs> and we continue to root for everybody black and olivia Coleman. yeah man the oscars what i never in my life would have expected to have a happy monday after the oscars it's
1: not perfect <laughs> it's not. i feel like i'm describing a film uh, it had its <laughs> disappointments yeah, but,
0: uh, it but overall not bad The bar is low, as a friend of mine likes to say. The bar is low. After all of that, it was actually not a bad night. It was fun. Where'd you watch it? I I got to watch it at my friend Benji's house. Mm -hmm. Uh, He let me hold his Oscar. Ooh, you were at a party. I saw that. You posted (laughs) that you were at a party with a real Oscar. Here's the tea on the Oscar. It's very heavy. It's like twelve pounds. You could like murder somebody? Oh, that it. was that. We had a whole. Con- My first thought was like, ooh, you could kill somebody. With I'm that.
1: glad that that's both where both of our heads. Yeah, I don't went know with what that says about it. It's like in the conservatory with the Oscar. <laughs> what did you do last night? I watched it on the timeline. Okay. I thought it was really fun to watch it unfold. Yeah, there are all the photos. I just that's how I like to experience yeah. stuff yeah. like that because it's also a way to. Hold it at arm's length. You're not invested. You can go to bed if you want. He's been hurt too many times. But I was into it. There were a lot of great moments. Yeah, let's get
0: into them. Okay. Ruth
1: Carter won the Oscar last night for costume design, and it's been a long time coming. Camilla tweeted, a few of Miss Ruth Carter's costume credits. Love in Basketball, Amistad, Selma, Roots, Malcolm X, House Party 2, Do the Right Thing, Seinfeld, The Butler, Sparkle, Baby Boy, Babs, Shaft, School Days, Moe Blues, and more! We were doing that the whole time, just for the record.
0: That's a lot. Yeah, that was great. Who knew? More. And more, and more. Last night was incredible. I mean, Ruth Carter is, of course, an icon, clearly, based on all of those films. Um, last night was the first t- uh, We're still got a lot of firsts, right? So mm-hmm. we're still to the point that apparently, according to Kyle Buchanan, only three black women in the entire history of the Oscars, two last night, have won Oscars outside of acting. Which so, is wild, So that's right? Ruth Carter. Yeah, that is pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Ruth Carter and Hannah Beechler both won for Black Panther. Uh, Hannah Beachler, yes, did the wonderful production design. She also did the production designed for Lemonade. Mm. So, you know, we love her for all kinds of reasons. But yeah, obviously the visual experience of Black Panther, right? The way the city looked, the costumes, the hair, just everything, the set design was a huge part of it. The
1: thought and details that went into it. It, The
0: Oscars went where they deserved to go, for for sure. For once. (laughs) For once. Well, uh, here's a tweet from Complex. Spike Lee helped Samuel L. Jackson land his first movie role. That's Do the Right Thing. Last night, Sam presented Spike Lee with his first Oscar for Black man And
1: what a beautiful moment was that oh, hug.
0: And he jumped up. up. Yeah, and he has to jump because Spike is short. Oh, uh, okay.
1: <laughs> Wow, let him have his moment. Saeed. Let the him have it's his moment. It was a beautiful hug. It was a beautiful it moment. Was. Again, I feel like we've said this about a few uh-huh. people. It
0: was a long time coming. Yes. I mean, it's it's wild, friends. That that Spike Lee again, like Ruth Carter has not already won an Oscar, mm-hmm. right? Um something you might be like, wait, I got to look this up and fact check it. But no. Um and yeah, and also like Samuel L. Jackson and and Brie Larson. I love them as a pair. I'm excited about Captain Marvel. Um that when they announced the award for what was it? Best Screenplay? that went to uh, Green Book. They both were like...
1: I mean, people made memes immediately. Oh, absolutely. Samuel Jackson's
0: face. I mean, those, those eyebrows went yes. up. Yeah, the party I was at, we stopped and rewound it three times. (laughs) She gasped, his eyebrows hit the ceiling. But then, you know, they come back and they get to give the award for adapted screenplay to to Spike Lee and it was just so exciting. All the joy. He had the rings
1: too last night, which I really love. He had love and hate. Spike Lee was being really Spike Lee. He talked about the Knicks on the red carpet. He (laughs) walked out during the whole Green Book stuff that we'll get to in a second. Like he tried to, he tried to get out of there.
0: And I also love, again, speaking to it being overdue, you get these moments where you're like, let that person take their time, right? And I think he actually commented on, Oh, yeah. He said
1: it at the beginning of his speech. He said don't start that motherfucking clock. And that's what that beep was. If you heard the beep while you were watching it, that's what he was saying. Because you know what? That clock's been going a long time for Spike. Yes, it indeed has. So it was
0: just exciting and he deserves And we're
1: not even going to talk about the president being petty in chief this morning. Technically, Ron tweeted, Olivia Coleman should be the new James Bond, the next Doctor Who, the new main character of the Fast and Furious franchise, and play Captain Britain in the MCU. And anyone that
0: disagrees should be arrested. What a beautiful <laughs> speech that was. It was great. She is my new Favorite. I had to mm. get that pun in there. I'm sorry. That was really um, no, good. she was, that was really good. delightful, and it was. You know, like it's. I don't know. I, I think it was a surprise. I think a lot of people thought. I Glenn love when Helen. everybody's talking, Jen
1: Close, Lady Gaga, Jen yeah. Close, Lady Gaga. Lynn Close then, was surprised. Yeah, I said, <laughs> was I saying
0: Jen? My bad. I was saying Jen. Glenn, Glenn, Glenn. <laughs> yeah, she'll come for you. <laughs> you don't want that failing <laughs> attraction energy. Um, but no, Olivia was great. Also, I felt like Regina King gave a great speech.
1: Wonderful speech. Beautiful. And again, as we keep saying, long time coming. We're talking Boys in the Hood. Yeah. We're talking Friday. Ooh. Regina King has been in
0: it. And to yes. see that moment was so yeah. beautiful. I also want to say, I let out a sigh of relief uh, when Spider man Enter the Spider-Verse 1, because I was like, Isaac is just going to burn it Maybe down Maybe you will go watch it now.
1: <laughs> also, uh, just in documentaries, it was cool to see Free Solo win. It yeah. is a really fascinating, scary, high-risk documentary. It was Not Minding the Gap, which was, of course, my right. favorite of the year. We had Bing here on the show. But for the most part, I, I, it felt like a really
0: good night throughout. So it was good. We had, some, had a good time.
1: It's like a date night that then kind of, Took a turn at the end, just things went a little off the rails at the end there.
0: How bad is it like, you know, you had a good date and then like let's say it's a first date and then Mm -hmm. like the, the kiss is a little sloppy?
1: Yeah, maybe they had too much garlic. Maybe they, maybe they ordered the wrong meal for that last night. That last, I'm not going to go with any more metaphors than that.
0: I'm trying to see how far he will go anyway. No, well, that's let's, I'm, I'm let's take sure. this to the timeline before Isaac runs off the studio set. Uh, what was the highlight of your Oscars night? Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM. It was a rare fun night.
1: Guys. It was a rare fun night until... Green, Green Book. Both mm. <laughs> the writer, Nate Joy, <laughs> <James> <laughs> Jones, joins us now to talk about that bad turn. Nate, Good morning.
2: Good morning. How are you guys doing?
1: Pretty good. You know, again, actually,
0: when I say good morning, I actually mean it for once.
1: I'm trying to imagine what this morning would have felt like if Kevin Hart had hosted. Like, I just feel like it's (laughs) so good. Anyways, we're very happy to be speaking with you. I want to ask you, though, about Green Book, about best Picture. Was I naive to hope for better? Were you surprised by
2: Green Book's win last night? I was a little surprised. I think you were certainly not naive. I think Green Book all season had been up there in sort of the main lead... You know, not leaving the pack alone, but it and Roma had sort of been neck and neck kind of until the very end. And so, yeah, you know, a little bit of a surprise, especially because Roma had just won Best Director and people were sort of feeling it, you know, had won Foreign Film. Uh, But no, I I think maybe a little disappointed in Green Book, I think is fair, but maybe surprise is a little... There were signs that this was in the that this was coming. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Nate's like, "Well, racism exists, society." So. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. We we praise realism here, Nate. Um, I wanted yeah. to kind of get into like aspects of the academy. I feel like there's so much yeah. I just don't know about how it works. You know how the voting works. Can you explain that in terms of how that might have worked in Green Book's favor?
2: Yes. So one, so in terms of how the voting works, you know, we've heard of, uh, you know, the Oscars so white, uh, you know, controversy. We've heard that they, you know, expanded the, the membership to sort of make it more diverse, younger, but it's still overwhelmingly pretty older and pretty whiter. And every time I talk to voters who were, you know, maybe a little bit older and whiter, they gushed over Green Book. They loved it. Um, And then the other thing that you need to know about sort of the way the voting works is that best picture is a preferential ballot. And so people rank the movies that they like. And then, you know, the last place movie, uh, the second place voters, you know, they get get that vote. And then it moves on until someone gets 50 percent. So they don't release the total. So there's sort of no way of knowing whether or not the preferential ballot worked. But, you know, Some other movies had reasons that people might have put them eighth. You know, Black Panther is a Marvel film. There's a lot of voters that would just put that last automatically. Roma is a Netflix film. There's still a lot of anxiety about Netflix. People might have put that eighth. Whereas, you know, unless the sort of the racism stuff got to you, which it looks like it didn't for a lot of voters, there there was sort of, you get the sense that a lot of people might have put Green Book like third or fourth.
1: So third or fourth, and then kind of the top one split. Mm-hmm. And that's how yeah, it Because yeah. cool. I saw you published a Possibly. Book that just, it published very early this morning that was just like how Green Book won. Do you think it's yes. just the voting of the Academy or were there other aspects at play?
2: Um, I mean, I think it's a little, it's a little hard to say. You know, this has been a season where there's been a lot of backlash against Green Book. You know, you saw there were the stories about the director, Peter Farrelly, flashing his penis on set in the 90s. There was the old Nick Bellalonga tweet. There was all this sort of controversy over Don Shirley's family and them not really acknowledging that they kind of existed until very, very late in the process. And I think in a weird sort of way, all this controversy, instead uh, instead of a hurting Green Book, it kind of helped it. I think people felt people who liked the movie suddenly felt very protective of it. And there were whispers throughout Hollywood that there was some, you know, that there was like people were trying to take down Green Book and we need to protect Green Book from the people who are trying to, you know, take it down, all these sort of social justice warriors in the media. And so, you know, you're not wrong if you sort of see a little bit of parallels to the way that sort of other people who've won contests recently have been treated by their fans, but... Hmm. I feel like there's a phrase for that. It's like identity. Yes. There's some politics. Yes, I there's maybe there's maybe something
0: of it like that. Um, I also want to ask, like something bigger is is the Oscars Best Picture category like broken in a way? Like you know, like the Oscars tried to introduce that like popular film category, and you mentioned the preferential voting. It it, it just seems like maybe there's something that needs to be rethought overall.
2: I think, I don't know if the system that's broken, I think it's more that the pool of people who are choosing these are very sort of split, right? So you have all those wonderful wins for Black Panther, you know, in costume and and production design, but you still have, you know, you have Olivia Coleman. But then at the end of the day, you still have, um, you still have Green Book winning best picture and, you know, original screenplay. Or yeah, original screenplay. Um, I think, you know, there's thousands of people, and just like, just like in America, right? There's some parts, you know, if you have some people in America. Sometimes when we vote, we get good results, and sometimes when we vote, we get not so good results. And you know, it's the same people voting every time, but just, you know, I, I don't know if there's something you can do in the process. I think it's just sort of the nature of. Hollywood is kind of of many different minds and they don't all agree with each other.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, Nate, thank you so much for joining us this morning and for your reporting. Thank you. Yeah. You have a good day.
0: Nate was, like, the happiest, most, like, optimistic person to also, like, keep it totally real about the reality of race in Hollywood. Absolutely.
1: That was beautiful. He was <laughs> oh like, just good like, morning, piping like up just... with my coffee here. Uh, identity politics for white people. That's yeah, what that was. That's all that to... was. I thought
0: you knew. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thanks for joining us, Nate. All right, here's a tweet from Oliver Willis that made me scream this morning. Pitching my movie about the white guy who inspired M.O.K. to write the I Have a Dream speech, then clearing my mantle for an Oscar. Mm. It's a sure fire. That is a sure, I... that's,
1: that's gonna win it. <laughs> I love the taxi driver that got him to the Lincoln Memorial on time. Just that guy. Anyways. Oh, my God. Uh, I'm sorry. Let's take it to the timeline. <laughs> What's your pitch for the next Green Book-esque movie that's going to win you an Oscar? Let us know using the hashtag Crashing Miss Daisy. <laughs> that, is, that is good. But listen, do you think they show the Oscars in jail? <laughs> No, you're just not going to react to that. Here's a tweet from the AP. R. Kelly, one of the best-selling music artists of all time, has yet to pay the $100,000 bond to secure his release from jail pending trial on sex abuse charges.
0: That $100,000 is 10% of the total bond, which is $1 million. A little jail math for you there, R. Kelly. I know you're not good at math. Uh, Attorney and friend of the show, Adrian Lawrence, tweeted this. If they are smart, the child support agency attorneys should be hovering around the courthouse ready to see sees whatever R. Kelly tries to use to pay his $1 million bond. If he did not have the money to pay his delinquent child support, he should not have the money to get out of jail.
1: Adrian Lawrence joins us now. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So did R. Kelly, I mean, it feels weird to say this because it's been a long time coming, but really spend the weekend in jail? And is he still in jail?
3: Ah, Yes, he did. And yes, he is in that 7,000 inmate jail in Chicago. He was resting his head last night. He does not have the money to pay the bail. Hopefully, uh, in his eyes, hopefully, he will have the money coming soon. But apparently, his finances are in disarray, so says his attorney. Uh, But as you noted, he owes $100,000 on that cash required portion of his bond. And he also owes that child support of about $169,000. And the issue really for him is that he's going to have to pay it all because he's been ordered by the child support court to pay that amount uh, before March 6th because he failed to appear at a hearing last month. And so if he does not pay that amount too, he could find himself back in jail, even if he were able to bail out on these recent charges.
0: Oh, wow. I, I didn't realize that he, he missed a previous court date. That's bold choices, uh, continue to be the theme with R. Kelly. I, I did want to zero in a bit. You know, so much has been going on, um, certainly the Oscars this weekend. I, I wanted to focus, what exactly sent R. Kelly to jail uh, in Cook County this time? What exactly was the case?
3: Well, this is what we have that broke on Friday. It's a 10-count indictment for aggravated sexual abuse. And this is against four victims, three of them are minors, and the alleged actions he took, which were just pretty much sexual abuse and inappropriate sexual contact with these individuals, they occurred during 1998 through 2010. And so on those 10 counts, he's facing seven years each, so he could spend about up to 70 years in prison if the judge were to order him, um, you know, pretty much were to give him a full sentence after he's being found guilty by a jury. And so we're really at the beginning of the process here. And he gets to enter his plea today because he should be going before the court. So we'll get to hear if he says
0: he's not guilty or guilty. Okay, well, to continue with this theme of things getting worse for him, um, at 7 a.m. today, Michael Avenatti tweeted this, I can confirm that we are providing a second video showing R. Kelly engaged in sexual assault of a minor to prosecutors this morning. This tape was recently uncovered in connection with our ongoing nationwide investigation on behalf of victims. Justice must be done. So what should we be expecting in the case today?
3: Well, unfortunately, based on the tone that R. Kelly has taken so far, which is deny, 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 we can probably expect him to enter a not guilty plea and to deny. That he ever engaged in any inappropriate contact with minors or anyone at all. And we can also see what will probably be um, a very litigious and public battle. We're gonna see these women uh, who are accusing him of sexual misconduct being torn down, uh, hypersexualized, or um, made to seem that they are in this for money or some sorts, because that's generally the MO with attacking victims when a Wealthier privileged man has been accused of sexual misconduct. So, hopefully, the media and um, just the public at large is kind of hip to that game and will really see through the antics.
1: And see through the antics. So, this is really the beginning of what might be a little bit of a long haul. Thank you so much for joining us, Adrian.
0: Thank you, guys. Yeah, I hate to gloat, but I'm going to gloat on that motherfucker. Bye. Bye, R. Kelly. Ha! Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> We've got another great show for you today. Clearly, we're already having a good time. AJ <laughs> Mishalka from School is here, and we will be talking with Representative Ro Khanna when we go live from the district. But first, it's Fire Tweets.
1: And don't worry. We're getting a Billy Porter's dress. <laughs> don't
0: worry. Don't worry.
1: Life is out. Don't happening. worry. <laughs> Fire! Fire! Welcome back. Let's get into these... Fire tweets. (laughs) Friend of the show, Adam Conover, tweeted, Why does every Oscar winner say how old their mom is? Thank you to the Academy. My mom is here. She's 102 years old. If you needed any proof, I deserve this award. Just know that I have... A super old ass mom. (laughs) It is.
0: It is something that they do. I I think they're doing because they know the demographic of the academy is a bunch of old ass white men mostly.
1: A theory is born. (laughs)
0: It's like solidarity. A theory is born. (laughs) Shout out to AARP. You know what I'm saying? All right. This next tweet comes from Hari Kondabolu. He tweeted, "Without a host, the Oscars are just people reading a list of high school yearbook superlatives." (laughs) (laughs) Hari. It's I'm a good. So j- it's a good joke. It's a really funny joke. But I
1: love not having hosts. Like I really, I I would be hard pressed to go back to it. That's how I, that's, that's how I what get, they say once you go hostless you never go back. And it kept things moving on time as we talk ourselves out of a job. But let's take this to the timeline. How did you feel about the hostless Oscars this year? Do you think they should have one next year? Should there be a host who should it be? Or let's just keep it simple. Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM.
0: Please tweet us Kevin Hart.
1: Please. Okay. Uh, wow, it's itching for a fight a little bit today.
0: All right. All right. Dazed tweeted this. <laughs> friend, it's just a casual thing. Don't be extra. Me and we've got Billy Porter in that Uh, gown. uh, We've got Billy Porter in that uh, gown, honey. A velvet Christian Siriano tuxedo gown with a jumpsuit under it. Oh, my god, It goodness. was just such
1: a oh stunning moment. Goodness. It
0: was so beautiful. I saw Lena Waithe had a
1: really good yes. tweet that was like, it was so good seeing so many women in suits mm-hmm. and so many men in
0: dresses. And again, Christian Siriano. Christian Siriano designs dresses for women with bigger bodies, human bodies, like Danielle Brooks, uh, you know, trans women, Laverne Cox, and, you know, also putting gay men and gals. Like, he is doing incredible You sat work. down with him on the show, right? Yeah, he was on the show recently. And it's just fabulous. And again, he got a start on Project Runway. Really? Yeah, and uh, I just like, it's just beautiful. And also, it just... It's it's not just the politics, the gown is gorgeous.
1: That's, and that's the real thing. Like it just, that was the best thing Life. in the closet, I'm Life. sure. Just
0: like taking that yes. out. Like it just looked. It was good. Shout gorgeous. out to Hector. It's just gorgeous. Oh, we live. All right, we We, felt, live. we just wanted to take that we moment. We have to give you that swim moment, in it Billy. For a second. We love you. All right.
1: <laughs> Alex tweeted: some of Green Book's best friends are black movies. Mmm, <laughs> mmm, mm, mmm. Mm. That's it. That's all I it's got. All, that's the we That is beautiful. It's, it's just yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Brings yeah, yeah. them up every chance Green Book gets. Oh God, are right. you ready for?
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter <laughs> day comes from Ellie. The difference between Samuel L. Jackson presenting Green Book with an Oscar and Samuel L. Jackson presenting Black Klansman with an Oscar deserves an Oscar. That
1: might've been, yeah. it might've been my favorite moment. My, it, the favorite I moment, think it, was it might've moment. been just like, the face doesn't lie. There was also really a beautiful moment. I saw there's a lot of black pit as Green Book kind of gets up there, uh-huh. a lot of black, just looking over the shoulder, Maybe just like making a little bit of a face. A lot of the, a lot of the cast there. Uh, was, there. It, was it was like there
0: was a moment with Dana Guerrero, like presented, an award, and it was just like, here we go, y'all.
1: I feel like hope the, you enjoyed the Black Panther wins because people really understand, obviously, that they're always on I camera bet. at those yeah. awards. But like now, they're like they're having fun with it because that's what gives the internet yeah. the things
0: that they need to get out there and thank make you. The and we beach. appreciate. It. I'm doing a lot of boo boo. We
1: appreciate. <laughs> okay, coming up, Stephanie sits down with the star of Schooled, A.J. Michalka. But up <sighs> next, we are going live from the dish. I promise. Chill before I talk to this guy, you want to get them out now? Just get them all out now. Just get them out.
0: Get them out. Get them out. out. Welcome back. We are going live from the district with Congressman Ro Khanna. Good morning.
4: Good morning.
1: All right. Here's a tweet from you, Congressman. Bernie Sanders has fought for ordinary Americans for decades, even when it's made him unpopular with wealthy donors and party elites. He has the populist progressive vision to lead us into the 21st century. I'm proud to be national campaign co-chair. So not only are you endorsing Bernie Sanders, but now you're working for him. Out of all the Democratic candidates running, why choose Bernie and why so early?
4: Well, I think he understands more than anyone uh, the income divide in this country, and he speaks for working families, for folks who are struggling to be in the middle class, for rural America that's been left out. Uh, he also has rejected old corporate money, PAC money. And finally, uh, I work with him on the Yemen resolution, and he's reorienting foreign policy so that we're not supporting the Saudis, so that we're prioritizing human rights. So I just believe he has a comprehensive vision for economic justice and social justice. All right, I feel like a lot of that
1: could have been said. Uh, the last presidential election, though, what is Sanders doing differently this time?
4: Well, a couple of things. Look, Hillary Clinton was a very formidable candidate. I mean, I supported Bernie in the primary, but then Hillary in the general. She was a secretary of state, she was a senator. Uh, so it's not to be underestimated that he got 13 million votes against someone who had universal name ID. Now he starts out with a huge advantage. He's the only person so far in the field who actually run for president. He has 13 million votes. I do think he has assembled a very diverse team, Uh, more people in his inner circle who come from all different uh, backgrounds and uh, both in terms of minorities and women and uh, a more inclusive team. And I think that's going to serve him well.
0: Are you satisfied with how Bernie Sanders has responded to reported allegations of sexual harassment and gender pay gaps during his 2016 campaign?
4: Well, I had a conversation with him, and he said there's going to be an absolutely zero-tolerance policy for this. If there is any incident, uh, the person will be removed. Uh, and uh, he has worked with leading experts to make sure that that's going to have zero place uh, in this campaign. And many of us co Nina Turner, myself, and others, uh, have made that abundantly clear that we cannot have any place for that uh, in this campaign.
0: Uh, You are also now a member of the House Oversight Committee, which, of course, will be publicly questioning Michael Cohen on Wednesday. Uh, What do you personally plan on asking him? If he dodges a lot of questions, would you be willing to subpoena him?
4: Well, I do think we have to be willing to subpoena him. Uh, You know, I want to know what uh, he knew about President Trump and are there crimes that Trump may have committed or illegal acts he did uh, that we that he hasn't uh, talked about yet. Were they more women who were paid hush money? There are a lot of questions out there. The New York prosecutors have said that Michael Cohen hasn't been fully forthcoming, uh, and we're going to press him to make sure that all of the information comes out. Uh, what we want is transparency. If he's unresponsive, we should be willing to subpoena him. Uh, at the very least, he should have to take the Fifth Amendment uh, if he's not going to respond.
1: All right, here's a tweet from George Stephanopoulos. Representative Adam Schiff tells me he is absolutely prepared to sue Trump administration if Mueller report is not made public. So if it comes to a subpoena there, would you support Adam Schiff in that effort?
4: I would. I mean, look, everyone should be for the transparency of the Mueller report. If Trump himself has said that there's no collusion and he's going to be vindicated, he should be for getting the Mueller report out and letting the facts speak for themselves. I, you know, in Washington, people who try to hide things, conceal things, it never works out. Everything eventually becomes public. Uh, I am gonna push for the transparency of that report and I would support Adam Schiff in any uh, effort to make sure that uh, that report is public.
0: Okay. Uh, California Senator Dianne Feinstein seemed quite dismissive of the Green New Deal in a video that took over Twitter uh, this week in a lot of debate. You, of course, were an early supporter of the New Deal. So I wanted to know, what do you make of her remarks to those kids? Did she handle that
4: moment well? Well, it wasn't one of her highlights. And I, look, I had endorsed her opponent in the last uh, primary election. But after that, I sat down with her. Uh, and she said that she really wants to understand some of the progressive movement. Uh, she understands that the party uh, demands action on Medicare for All on a Green New Deal. Uh, that wasn't uh, a highlight for her, but my hope is uh, that she will uh, learn from it, learn from the response and be supportive uh, and understand why these young people are so passionate. I am very proud of being a supporter of the Green New Deal. Uh, it's going to help create jobs in communities left behind, and it's necessary to avoid of catastrophic consequences in 12 years, according to the Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change.
1: All right, you have also spoken out about how apps like Instacart have used tips in their services. You said on February 8th, they're basically having wage theft. So what are you doing to make sure workers are getting paid?
4: Well, I spoke out about it and in response, Instacart uh, a day later announced that they were uh, increasing their Uh, policies of wages and not going to take their tips. Now, it wasn't just because I spoke out. There were a number of us who spoke out. But look, I use Instacart. My wife uses Instacart. Uh, It's a convenient service and makes it easy uh, if you're uh, traveling to get groceries. But what we shouldn't be doing is using innovation to deprive workers of what they're entitled to. It's ridiculous that they have a default tip of 5 percent. I mean, who tips 5 percent? Most people tip at least 15, 20 percent. And it's ridiculous that they were taking the tip and removing that tip from people's wages. Uh, I'm glad that they're now uh, going to change that practice. They're a $7 billion company. They're getting ready to IPO. They can afford to pay workers a fair wage.
0: You made those comments about Instacart when you were a guest on Tucker Carlson's Fox News show. Uh, You also said this recently about Carlson. Uh, Tucker Carlson offers a devastating critique of interventionism and shows how much of the foreign policy establishment has failed the American people. There is an emerging left-right coalition of common sense for a foreign policy of restraint. Uh, Congressman, why do you think Tucker Carlson is someone providing common sense foreign policy?
4: Well, I don't agree with Tucker on a number of uh, issues, certainly his comments on race and gender, and I don't agree with him on all of the foreign policy issues. For example, Venezuela, I have been unapologetically saying we shouldn't be intervening or rushing to war. Tucker has a different view. But the article I cited was one where he critiqued Max Boot and Bill Kristol and said that the war in Iraq was wrong. Tucker has spoken out about the war in Yemen and our support of the Saudis. And my view is that to stop endless wars, to stop our... Uh, the casualties in Yemen. We need to take uh, a coalition from uh, as broad a perspective as we can. I'm going and meeting Lindsey Graham because Lindsey Graham is considering uh, supporting our War Powers Resolution to stop the war in Yemen. So I vehemently disagree with Tucker on many, many issues. But where he's willing to speak out about the war in Iraq or criticize people like neo such as uh, Max uh, Boot or Bill Kristol, uh, I think that his voice on those discrete issues Can help build a coalition to stop bad wars.
0: Here's the thing, and I know you're you're kind of preempting this a bit, but I'm going to push you on it, Congressman. You know, only a few months ago, advertisers. No, please do. Yeah, we're uh, dropping Tucker Carlson's show uh, after he said immigrants made the United States, quote, poorer and dirtier. So, you know, you're saying that you, of course, are willing to, you know, find opportunities to compromise with people like Lindsey Graham and Tucker Carlson um, as long as, you know, there are those opportunities. But at this point, um, how do you justify continuing to show up on Tucker Carlson's show? Is there something that he would say or do that would make you decide, listen, I'm not going to appear
4: anymore? Well, look, as you know, I'm the son of immigrants. My grandfather spent four years in jail with Gandhi. My parents came here. I remember them having their green card stamped and I represent a district that's 50% foreign born. And I understand representing Silicon Valley the contributions that immigrants have made to this country. There wouldn't be Apple. There wouldn't be Google. There wouldn't be Microsoft. There wouldn't be Facebook if it weren't for the contributions of immigrants. So uh, I don't think anyone uh, has a record of speaking about uh, the positives of immigration more than I do. But here's the reality. Uh, There are some of those who believe that we shouldn't go on Fox News. Uh, Fox News speaks to a large audience. I believe that by going on and sticking to my guns and sticking to my principles, uh, that it's worth engaging people because I fundamentally believe this is a good, decent country at its heart uh, so, so and going on I can make if, the case. Now, so if Tucker Carlson- If Tucker Carlson were, said, like, white yeah. supremacists are great, would you still be
0: willing to show up?
4: No, I mean obviously uh, there is a line and I, I, at that point I think people would call for him uh, to lose his show. Uh, And there is a a line that uh, we have to be mindful of, but uh, I do think that uh, if Tucker Carlson were to have me on and he were to say that uh, immigrants aren't making a contribution, I would say, Tucker, that's crazy, that's ridiculous, let me tell you. In fact, I went on his show and I talked about a Pakistani immigrant in rural West Virginia who is teaching kids code and how much of a contribution she's making. Now, here's the question. I can go on MSNBC or your program all day and talk about the Pakistani-American woman and her contributions, and people will say, yeah, Ra, we agree. But think about the power of going on Fox News and Tucker Carlson's show and getting to say that to Fox News viewers. We need to make the case for a pluralistic, multicultural America, not just on forums that are easy, but on places like Fox News, so that we can build a coalition for the America we believe in, we shouldn't be afraid to engage uh, in that debate. All right. Donald Trump went on MSNBC a lot before he became the nominee. <laughs> right. Well, uh, we're going to have to leave it there uh, for
0: now. As always, thank you again for coming back on AM to DM, Congressman Rocana.
4: I love it. I, I, I love the spirited conversation. Thanks for having me. We do, too. Yeah. We do, too.
1: Yeah,
0: he's ready. He's ready to, he loves- he's ready to, to fight a little he's bit. He's like, listen, I can talk to Chuckle Carlson. I don't know why y'all don't think I want to talk to y'all. Yeah, <laughs> right, right.
1: Exactly.
0: Every time you brought up the
1: Green New Deal, though, there at the beginning, I was like, are you about to ask him about Green Book? You don't know. His feelings on? Maybe.
0: <laughs> Maybe. All right, friends. Up next, Isaac talks with Jill Filipovich about gender reveal parties. Stay tuned. Do you, you, <laughs> you think it's going to be pro?
4: Do you think it's <laughs> going to be pro? Do you think
0: it's going to be...
1: Welcome back. Writer, lawyer, and author Jill Filipovich tweeted, I wrote about one of my most hated things, the gender reveal party. Seriously? Stop doing these. Jill joins me now. Good morning.
5: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the show. So let's start here, Jill. When did gender reveal parties become popular? They're like really historically ancient, right? Come from the olden times?
5: (laughs) Yeah. um, It seems like they really are an internet animal. Uh, And they exist very much in this age of social media where all of our sort of big life moments are not just kind of individually enjoyed, but have to be produced for an audience. So they've really only started to be a thing in the past 10 years. And it seems like over those past 10 years, they just keep getting more and more common.
1: They keep getting more and more common and more and more kind of over the top, it seems like. Uh, You described in your piece, gender reveal parties as a living feminist nightmare. So why do you hate them so much?
5: Um, I mean, to be clear, I think that most people who do throw these gender reveal parties are primarily excited about having a baby, which completely makes sense. Um, The reason I think they're a living feminist nightmare is that they really Mm. ingrain the kind of like pink and blue traditional gender roles that feminists have spent centuries trying to root out. So we've been trying to say from the time you're born, you know, you're wrapped in a pink blanket or you're wrapped in a blue blanket. And from there, a whole set of expectations and aesthetics and opportunities are put on you. And that can be really limiting. It doesn't let individuals sort of be whoever they actually are. It puts us in these very distinct, very arbitrary categories. And the gender reveal party moves that even more forward. So you don't even have to be born to be wrapped in the pink or the blue blanket. You're still a fetus, um, and your parents are announcing to the world, you know, that you're going to be either guns or glitter. You're going to be yeah you know, uh, tractors or tiaras. These very kind of limiting ideas about what it means to be male and female. Uh, you know, also attached to this idea that the presence of a penis or a vagina or XX chromosomes or XY chromosomes necessarily relates to your gender identity you know, as a child and later as an adult, which, as we know, you know, is not universal. Not everybody does identify with the sex that they're assigned at birth. So gender reveal parties, they don't really offer us much. Um, you can have a party to celebrate having a baby without having to reveal the gender. You're not even really doing that. Um, and they also cause, I think, pretty substantial harm by reinforcing these incredibly limited gender roles.
1: Absolutely. Now, Eva Basileon, she tweeted, Jill, people still see gender. It's a good dream you have, but people just aren't there yet. If gender didn't matter, you wouldn't still be using terms like feminist. So you do you. And I just wanted to ask you here on the show, give, give you a chance, to. what's your response to that?
5: I don't think feminists are saying that gender doesn't matter. I don't think we're even saying that, you know, things like Penises and vaginas don't exist. Um, That's not what we're arguing. Feminists certainly say that gender does matter. I mean, gender matters extraordinarily. It completely shapes, you know, how we are able to move through life and the opportunities that we have. What feminists are trying to do is to kind of unpack the unnecessarily limiting aspects of what we assign to gender, and so that's why I'm challenging the gender reveal party. It's not to say that you know, it's completely meaningless in this life, whether you're male or female. It is to say, let's sort of take off the meaning that we give to gender, the sort of unnecessary, arbitrary, limiting meanings that we assign to being female or male. Um, that's the goal of feminism. So, of course, we're criticizing the gender reveal party.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I I do want to say, they also sometimes cause a lot of harm. I remember there was a wildfire not that long ago caused by a gender reveal party. Is there any sign that maybe they're slowing down? Like like a lot of social media fads that maybe people are like, okay, maybe that was a little silly.
5: Not as far as I can tell. Um, You know, there was a really good Huffington Post piece that actually sort of looked into this in a bit more depth than I did. My piece was primarily opining Um, And that seemed to indicate that at least according to Google search trends the gender reveal party is is getting more and more popular and more and more common You know, I will say and you know granted I exist in a Fairly narrow universe of other kind of feminists and social justice minded folks. I don't see these very often on my own social media feeds Um, You know, I saw a few that came up a few years back Uh, the more popular they get, the more I also think we're seeing some of this critical pushback Um, and that parents, you know, who are, again, really well-meaning and are not trying to limit their kids' opportunities may have seen the gender reveal party initially as, you know, a good excuse to have people over and do something fun and, I don't know, make use of blue food coloring. Um, And the more we do see these pieces that push back and that kind of, that do kind of reveal what what the deeper harms are here. I'm hoping that the more, you know, you'll have parents who will throw, you know, and I'm having a baby party and take the gender aspect out of it.
1: Putting a little more thought into the baby party. Well, Jill, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Up next, Stephanie sits down with actor AJ Michalka from the show School. Stick around.
6: This is a Sit Down, and I am here with the star of Schooled and one half of Allie and AJ, AJ Michelka. Hi. Thank you so much for coming back. Of course. Thanks for having me. Of course. It's so great to have you on the show again. Thank and you. I was just saying, congrats. You have your own show now. That is so exciting.
7: Thanks. A lot's changed since I last saw you. <laughs> I
6: know. I know. But it's all good things. So, yeah. obviously, Schooled is a spinoff of The Goldbergs, which we yeah. talked about you appearing on the last time you were here. How has your character, Lainey, evolved since she appeared on The Goldbergs?
7: She's evolved a ton. I mean, she's now an adult. We're seeing her, you know, 10-ish years later in the 90s, um, back at William Penn, her old high school, and she's now a teacher. So to see her now kind of in the workforce of, like, figuring out what life is like as an adult, as opposed to where we saw her as a high schooler, is really fun for me to play as an actor because I feel so connected to this role. I mean, I've played her for the last six years, and to help her... Figure out who she is as an adult has been really fulfilling as an actor,
6: and that's been so exciting to see her grow as a high schooler to now.
7: I know. Adult. Yeah, that's like I know, so and cool. she's just figuring things out. I mean, she graduated high school on The Goldbergs, went to fashion school, dropped out, restarted her band with Erica Goldberg, got engaged to Barry Goldberg, broke up with Barry, and now we see her ten years later. It's like, you know, it's really she's lived she's lived a lot on TV.
6: And now she's a teacher.
7: And now she's a teacher. And she's getting schooled. <laughs> yep, that's right. She's so, getting schooled by her students, and she's trying to figure out how to school them.
6: Yeah, for sure. So you were actually homeschooled, right? I was. So did you? who did you draw inspiration from for teachers? I'm sure you had some teachers in your life, but were there any teachers on other sitcoms or other TV shows that you tried to model your teaching style after?
7: Um. To be honest, I can't say that there's one teacher I've pulled from. I do have people that have been mentors in my life, whether they were teachers in my academic life or just mentors in my life as an actor. Um, but I have to say, in regards to like what I draw from as a comedian on the show, I, I think the biggest inspiration for me has probably been Wendy McClendon-Covey on The Goldbergs. You know, I've been able to obviously watch her as an actor for the last six years, and She's brilliant. The way she carries that show and the way she carries herself and the way she prepares for, for the role of Beverly is really amazing. And I think she's incredibly talented. So just as an actor, I've been able to work with comedians that have, I think, shaped what I do now on Schooled, which is really cool.
6: That is very cool. Okay, so we have a tweet from a fan of the show cool. named Kelly. And she says, anyone else shipping Lainey and Coach Malor or am I just crazy? Are you into that? Oh, my gosh it's so funny
7: that this is now coming out because that was never planned. Like Lainey and Coach Mellor, I don't think anything is really happening there in regards to romance. Um, but I've noticed people are starting to tweet that as of like a week. And I got to say, it's not where the direction of the show is going. Who knows? Season two, who knows where the writers will take things. But um, Coach Meller is someone that, you know, I think Lainey really looks up to. And had an issue with in school. Definitely, Lainey was the rebellious type and, and did not take any of her teachers very seriously. But Mellor was someone that she did look up to. And I think that their relationship as teachers is going to really blossom in regards to their friendship. I don't know if there's going to be anything romantically. I got to say for now, there's not. But I love that people are kind of starting that online. I think it's hilarious. I actually have to tell Brian Callen that that's happening because I bet he has no idea.
6: I, I love that the fans are kind of picking up on this Me chemistry too. that you didn't even know was happening.
7: Literally, not... not Established, not written for, nothing. It's just like happening out of nowhere. I kind of think it's hilarious. It's just
6: natural. But, you, know. you should you should definitely tell Brian that. <laughs> I'm gonna tell him. I am like
7: tell him people are thinking there's something going on between Meller and Laney.
6: Just just send him the tweet, no context. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so it. I have to ask you about Allie and AJ, obviously. We love your guys' music here on the show. And your pinned tweet right now is March equals a new era of Allie and AJ. Yeah. So What's happening in March? It's almost March, so we're going to find out soon, right? Can you give us a hint? It's almost March, yeah. We're releasing our first single at
7: the end of the month. Very exciting. I'm so excited to come back with music. Um, My sister and I are going on tour, actually, during the months of May and June before I head back to filming, and um, I'm just excited to work on a new EP with her and get creatively amped up again for new music. We're really growing as artists and. I think, you know, with the last EP, 10 years, it took a long time to obviously come up with new material. And I really feel like we're on a roll right now. I'm really, really proud of this music. We actually just shot a music video here in New York City over the weekend. And it's all over Brooklyn, and we were in Coney Island, and shooting some really interesting footage that I think is going to uh, create a really cool video. So I'm excited to show our fans what we have next.
6: So while you're starring in the sitcom, No Big Deal, you're just going to go on tour. You're yeah. going to shoot a music video. You're you're so you're not doing enough. You got to do more. It's not enough. It's not enough.
7: No, it's it's a tricky balance, especially when there's two of us. But um, you find a window of time as an artist, and and you kind of have to just hold on to it and go, all right, this is my hiatus from the show and how much music can I get in before we kind of miss that next opportunity? It's just, it's too important to pass up.
6: I love that, grab the bull by the horns. Yeah, do exactly. everything that you possibly yeah. can. Okay, so Allie's not here right now. She was here last time. That's so true. I'm gonna ask you a really tough question. What's the hardest part about working with your sister?
8: Oh
7: my
6: gosh. Um, wow, that's tricky. I mean, or an interesting part. If we—if it's all if it's all sunshine and roses, what's an interesting part that maybe you <laughs> wouldn't guess?
7: It's definitely not all sunshine and roses. I mean, there are times where, you know, we go through our creative differences. I do have to say, though, and I think some people would be surprised by this, our taste is really similar. So it's like the bands that we listen to, the concerts that we enjoy, um, the way we write, you know, what we're influenced by is really, really on par with each other. And I think that's what keeps us so... Um, just in tune, and, and, and I think the synergy is real because of that. Um, but I would say the trickiest part about like what we do together is probably rehearsing for tour, because we're trying to figure out what we want to do live, how we want the songs to sound. She might have a certain idea, I might have a certain idea. So when it comes to like butting heads, I guess the most we do that is the rehearsal process.
6: Plus you're tired, you're busy, you know? Yeah, and you're yeah.
7: just figuring stuff out. You're like, I don't agree with that. And she's like, well, I do, so let's figure it out. So we have to make things work, you know what I mean? You have to come to a compromise. It's kind of like being in a relationship. Yeah,
6: and siblings are, siblings, that's a good person. To siblings are,
7: are very, very special, and I think it's what makes our band really, I couldn't do this with anyone else. I think it's what makes our band really special.
6: I totally agree, I yeah. love that. Okay, so we have something really exciting that we're gonna premiere with you that I'm really excited about all of our producers are really excited about and it's a game We okay. wanted to test your knowledge of TV and spin-offs because your show is a spin-off and it's called name that Spinoff. I'm excited this is very exciting Woo, and we can have wheel. this amazing wheel which... <laughs> I don't know how good you guys can see it, but we all here at AMCDM are very excited about this. wheel. Some might say too excited, but there's, you can't be too excited about the wheel. You no, 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 this is great. I love this. I had no idea this was coming. I know it's so cute. Okay, so what you're gonna do is you're gonna spin the wheel, and okay. then you're gonna have to get. You're gonna have to say the spinoff that came from the show on the wheel. Does that make sense?
7: Totally. totally. Okay. Gosh, some of these. Um, okay. <laughs>
6: good luck. Let's go. Oh my gosh. Okay, the show is <laughs> Phoebus and Butthead. What show spinned off? And this is a hard one. This one actually was one of the ones I didn't know before I got the answers. Can I get a hint? Mm. <laughs> it's Phoebus and sho- Butthead. It's, it's a cartoon starring a female. Think of like quintessential 90s, like when we were growing up, but like quintessential cartoon.
7: Oh, Oh my gosh, the girl with the glasses and the and the short dark hair,
6: Daria. Uh, Daria. Yes, yes. That's a spinoff of think, Beavis and Butthead? I had no idea either. Oh, but I
7: can see the animation is very on par with each other.
6: I think that you get that right.
7: Does Daria come from Beavis and Butt storyline? Like, is she a sister or something?
6: Uh, our pre- our favorite is saying, yeah. That's oh,
7: cool. she went to school with them.
6: Got it. I, I okay. have no idea about this. I'm sure all. Of
7: I mean, I kind of got that one, but I feel bad. Can I do another? Oh yeah. I feel like another. that was like Yo, semi no, not cheating, you, but like you
6: helped me. Yeah. Okay, Grey's Anatomy.
7: Oh, it's not The Good Doctor. <laughs> not The Good Doctor, no, no. that is not a spinoff, but there's a medical drama on ABC that comes from this. It is um, um, not how to get away with murder. Um, <sighs>
6: it's about a fire station. Oh, Chicago Met? Oh, dang. A Chicago Fire? <laughs> Oh, okay, I, I actually it. had heard of this show either. It's called Station 19. I guess maybe we should check it out. Oh, but I've before heard that, this. there was Private Practice.
7: Okay. Oh, Private Practice was before Grey's Anatomy. So is no. Grey's the spinoff of Private Practice? Private Practice, they're
6: telling me. They're telling me Private Practice is a spinoff of Grey's. Oh, interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah wouldn't have gotten it. And yeah. didn't. <laughs> so. I, I, no, I had honestly never heard of the Station 19 show, but maybe it's good. We can check it out. think it's really good. Should I okay. do one more? Yes, yeah, spin the end. Okay. <laughs>
7: Oh, wait. Oh, well, that... Do one more. That doesn't count.
6: Oh, spin again. Spin it. Just spin it. We're loving this wheel. All right. Cheers. This one, actually, I just learned because you're kind of hitting the hard ones. I'm sorry. I am hitting the hard ones. Like, why can't we hit, like, some... I mean,
7: hello. It's like, I know this one. Uh, uh, Big Bang and uh, Laguna Beach. Okay, let's see. Cheers. Um...
6: This is, this is a really this is a little before our time, which is not it's not fair. Happy days? Happy.
7: Cheer, no, Cheers was after.
6: I don't know. <laughs> Cheers was definitely after Happy Days. The answer is Frasier. Damn. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten that. Let's do one more. Let's do okay. one. That's not like before I suck like at this
7: game. These not, are hard.
6: Not before our time. This is not fair. It's before our time. Let's see. Oh. Okay, here we go. Um, um Young Sheldon. Yeah! Okay. Here great. we go. It's on the
7: air now, so it makes sense that I know this.
6: Yes, awesome. You got some hard ones
7: though, you did great. I did. And I, I must I, say, your I, I spinning was ones. on point. Oh, thank you, thanks. I had a little <laughs> flip of the wrist to it. Killed it.
6: All right, well thank you so much for playing this game Thanks with for me. having me. Thanks for premiering our wheel, and thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, thanks for your support. And catch Schooled on ABC on Wednesdays at 8.30. And don't go away, Saeed is talking to novelist Nicole Dennis-Ben.
0: Here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News, quote, I learned very early that to be an immigrant in this country meant I did not have the luxury of choosing what I wanted, only what was necessary. Uh, that incredible line is from an excerpt of Nicole dennis benns essay in the anthology The Good Immigrant. You need to get this book, y'all. Nicole dennis benn joins me now. Hi. Hi. Oh, this is a delight. Yes, nice talking <laughs> to you. It's nice seeing you again. I know. I, I love Nicole so much. I'm not even going to yes. pretend <laughs> not to be a huge fan. But let's, let's start with that quote from, from the essay. What is the pressure like uh, for kids from immigrant families right. um, in terms of deciding on a career path?
8: Um, so really, it's really Challenging. Mm-hmm. First of all, you're coming here as a newly arrived immigrant, and there's a lot of expectations from family to do those name brand. Um, um Career paths: okay. medicine, engineering, law, law uh-huh. business, uh-huh. and that—that's all in the hope of um, getting you into situated in this new country, okay. but also achieving more than they could achieve as parents coming here in the first place, or being in the um, home country, seeing you, you know, be in America, wanting you to excel. Mm. And so, it's really hard to determine, you know, you're going to be an art student or a writing student when all that is on your shoulder. So okay. that's really what I meant. Um, but it's that is that very very rarely you get those choices. Right. yeah. and and how did you
0: navigate that? Like, obviously, right. you are a successful novelist now and yes. doing great. But at the beginning, was it easy to talk it to your was, family
8: about it? Oh, my God, incredibly hard, incredibly hard. you know, like I came here to this country, you know, um of course, my family thinking I was going to be the doctor that they want okay. me to, wanted me to be. Um, I was supposed to carry the family up, right? Because you know, we we uh, as a working class Jamaican um individual and coming here to America, the expectation was that, I would actually be the one to pull them out of that poverty, pull them out of the working class. And so it was very, a very hard decision for me to sit my mother down and tell her that I really wanted to write. That was a really hard decision. Um conversation to have in addition to that my father who was one funding my education which was even harder so it was really incredibly challenging for me um, to come to be here right now Um, and it really took mentors and um, people who really supported me to really push me in this direction you know telling me I can do it it's okay and you know everything will be fine yeah yeah,
0: I'm so glad they did. Definitely, I'm so glad they did. What did it feel like when you were fully like embracing your identity as a writer? Like, what changed oh, gosh. for you?
8: Um, really what changed for me was my first publication um, because of course the, the rejections as you know the, lots of you rejections get a lot of rejections exactly right <laughs> so, it was so it was really um, for me I, I almost quit there were times when I'm like oh my gosh am I really doing this like is this really meant to be am I crazy you know I'm going to really prove my father right now you know by saying yeah I'm going to fail at this and so when all those rejections were coming in I did have those moments but again it really took my wife who was also very supportive She said, like, you know just continue pushing Um, publications out I had a very great mentor Marita Golden um, from Hurston Wright Um, and she also was on my back you know she's like Nicole you can do this this happens to all writers you know no one um, escapes this so for me to hear those things was actually what made me you know, stay on this path. Wow.
0: Yeah. I also wonder, and you you mentioned your wonderful wife supporting yes. you. And, you know, I think uh, from a lot of writers from the Caribbean, uh, talking yeah. about sexuality. Right. Also difficult. Yes. So was, did oh it, my was there a back and forth between like, oh, I'm yes. telling you I'm a writer, I'm telling you I'm attracted right. to women.
8: Right, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I actually came out like... Multiple times. First, as a writer. Uh Well, actually, I came out as a lesbian first. Okay. Which was, again, another Uh very, I mean, you're talking about Jamaican parents here, Jamaican family. So, again, that kind of shook them, you know, like, what? Really? Uh Like, what are you saying? And then after this child, they got over that hump, kind of. And then I came out as a writer. And that, again, was kind of like, really, what's going on with you? You know, and, you know, I was actually the free spirit in the family. Okay. Um, Though I was expected to go on this really linear path of medicine there was something, my mother always told me that there was something about me that, you know, I, I didn't really fit into any box. Mm. And so somehow um, last, two years ago, she said to me that, you know, it's interesting um, how, how I've ended up because this is so me in terms of like now flowing in my, what I want to do, mm-hmm. being happy. And when they, they both saw me happy, yeah. that's when they realized, you know what? Let, let let us let her just fly do her own thing and so that, I really
0: appreciated that oh it's so good when people really I think joy is sometimes so eloquent yeah. you know and it's good when people go like I see the joy so, right I'm, exactly you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, well so the essay you know starts and ends with the memory of your father teaching you how to swim right. speaking of family so why was that such an important moment for you
8: yeah I thought about that because every time I um, come up against a challenge always mm-hmm. le- remember, remember that lesson okay and you know, it's really perseverance I think um, you know pulling through as a first generation immigrant and experiencing that on my own for the very first couple of years in this mm-hmm. country, I felt like I had to go back to that memory. And again, um, fast forward to 2016 when the election happened and everybody was asking me, what is, what is it like to exist in America as an immigrant, mm-hmm. you know, and as a writer right. in, this, in the time of Trump? And, you know, the, it was really like that um, it, Like um, people were very I mean, angry, but at the same time, panicking. And for me, it was, it was so me to panic in that moment. But again, remembering that lesson, still saying, you know, be calm. You know, I've come this far. I was, I was literally treading the deep end of the ocean here. Yeah. And so why not just continue doing that? And so that's really what my mantra is. Beautiful. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Um, Well, BuzzFeed Books uh, named your forthcoming novel, Patsy, as a book to keep an eye on in 2019. I agree. I agree. Um, How does the novel kind of expand on themes that you've kind of been talking about this
8: morning? Yeah, I, oh my goodness. Uh, Well, first of all, you know, this Patsy um, is really a story about a woman trying to find her place in the world. Okay. And she does that by coming here to America, like I did, in search of that freedom. Mm -hmm. And more, uh, more, uh, more of it is more... So her searching for the ability or the opportunity to love the way she wants to love, you know, and which something she couldn't do very openly in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. So she comes to Brooklyn, comes well, comes to America, only to realize that as an undocumented immigrant, America is just as hard as anywhere else. And so upon um, you know that encountering that crushing awareness, now uh, having to navigate her way through this um, country. But in the meanwhile, um, in the meantime, it follows her six-year-old daughter True, who she leaves behind in Jamaica or abandons really. Um, Coming of age on the island, Mm -hmm. questioning um, her mother's abandonment, and also coming into her own identity Mm -hmm. and sexuality, so... (laughs) Ooh, so <laughs> good.
0: This yeah. yeah. Anyway, and to that, I mean, gosh, she's just you're such a wonderful writer. Um, you know, I'm close to Marlon James, who's also yes. from Jamaica yes. and a novelist as well. And, and and he and I talk a lot about Jamaica oh. and as well. What would you say to Americans? Yes. You know, people. You know, I'm a gay. You know, uh, right. African American, and I'm not from Jamaica. What would you say to us as we perceive it? You know, have have things changed? Has it mm. gotten more accepting, or is it <sighs> actually still just very hard? All right. So
8: I know th- th- many different Jamaicans have different opinions. Okay. I feel like it's still the same. Mm. Um, you know, usually people would expect... I mean, homophobia happens in very different um, shades, right? Mm-hmm. You have the violence, mm-hmm. but you also have the the, um, the looks and the gaze. That, you have the very um, microaggressions, yes. or micro, those reactions that happens when I'm there with my wife, for yeah. example. If she looks at me in a, cer- a certain way, mm-hmm. you know, you never know who's going to give you the look. Mm-hmm. There's also the... Um, the question of like whether or not you can actually exist in Kingston holding hands. Like, right. it's one thing for people to know that you're gay right. on the island. But to like Right, right. Exactly. And also, you know, unlike America, we don't have rights there. Mm. So, you know, if you come out as a les- lesbian or a gay person in your office space, if you don't have the agency, you can be fired. Okay. You know, things like that can happen to you. If you live in a certain community in working class, like I'm from Vineyard Town. Okay. So like, our houses were separated by fences and zinc so people can look over your fence. So wow. if you're a single woman or a single man, people know who is going in and out. The gossip starts, and so wow. again, you're put, you're at risk. Wow. So it depends on where you are. It yes. depends on your class. You know, if you're upper class Jamaican, you might be fine because you have the gated community around you. Mm. Yeah. So like a character like my, like Patsy, uh-huh. and even like myself, we felt the need that so in order for us to love the way we wanna love. Right. America offered that. Wow. No, there's that bittersweet right? kind of thing because yeah. coming here, there's another dragon, which is racism yeah. and uh, homophobia, homophobia which still happens, as yes. you know.
0: Uh-huh.
8: But still, wow. you know, the. Um, it's all
0: yeah. 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 Well, I thank. You. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Uh, and thank you. I, I love all of your work, and I'm so glad you're you're using your experiences to help yes. create this new sense of free. Yes. So, thank you, Nicole. Thank um, you. Friends, you can pick up a copy of the Good Immigrant right now, and the new awful is coming out later this year. Patsy up next. Isaac and I are going to read more of your tweets and talk about that new Washington Post news we just saw. All right. Thank you.
1: Before we get to your tweets, we wanted to bring up this tweet from the Washington Post about a story they're breaking. Former campaign staffer alleges in lawsuit that Trump kissed her without her consent. The White House?
0: denies the charge. Uh, Daily Beast reporter Scott Bixby tweeted this quote from that Washington Post story. I've tried to let it go, Alva Johnson said, beginning to cry. You want to move on with your life. I don't sleep. I wake up at four in the morning looking at the news. I feel guilty. The only thing I did was show up for work one day. Mm. Wow. Um, This is very much a developing story. I mean, I literally saw it during the break and was like, oh, we needed to at least address it. Uh, This story, uh, these allegations took place in August of 2016 during the 2016 presidential election. And of course, the Access Hollywood video, uh, that dropped in October of 2016, uh, which feels significant. Um, And I I was just trying to look, but at this, you know, at least by my count, I'm seeing, like at least 16 women before this new story uh, from the Washington Post have accused uh, Uh, the president of the United States of sexual misconduct. The White House is denying it. Uh, They're saying this absolutely did not happen. There were comments from uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders to that point, but uh, this is, you know, hard to ignore. You bring up
1: the Access Hollywood tape, and I feel like it's one of those things that just kind of gets brought up now, but to remember really listening to it and to hearing those things, these are allegations that are being made against the president, but we do have Trump literally on the record talking about sexual assault. So. We will be following this story closely. But listen, in the meantime, we asked, what's your pitch for the next green book type movie? Kim Bellaware says, rudderless white man moves to China oh. to teach children English and find himself, falls for mysterious local woman, learns to eat chicken feet with chopsticks, wins approval of lover's family elder, returns to America, enlightened that he understands a wider world beyond the West. Kim, I'm just going to workshop for a second here. We're going to go on with that. He then opens up a chicken feet shop himself. Oh, Wins yeah. a James Beard Award. <laughs> <Yes. because laughs> that is exactly but, how that goes. But no, that was, I mean, this, that's, Kim, do we have a similar ex?
0: Do we have an ex? Exactly? Oh. I know a lot of guys who did that whole, I'm going to go teach children how to speak English in China or Japan. I'm not going to say nothing unless I say something that
1: gives too much information <laughs> about, about your not, past.
0: Let's not do it. Okay. Uh, we also asked how you felt about the Oscars not having a host Um, and should they have one next year? Tanya Melendez says, no host ever again. The show flow was much better than when the host appears and the energy stops and resets every time. Also, there seemed to be less nonsense, bad banter between presenters. It was great. I totally agree. I I think last, and also the show was shorter, Mm. I believe. Mm. Um, And yeah, and and also I wanted to say, I don't have a lot of good things to say about the Oscars. Producers, clearly they're messy. The pairing for presenters throughout the night was a delight like every time you saw two people come out together it was like I've always wanted to see you know Michelle Leo standing with you know it was just like so good Chadwick Boseman like it was just dope so that was a good idea.
1: I agree with all of that. Tanya, I'm just going to say that my feelings are hurt that you did not say Saeed and Isaac. Uh, <laughs> really broken up about that, Tanya. I will respond you, to you on this you time. Would you
0: host the Oscar Hell host? no! That shit is a
1: trap! <laughs> Thank you to our guests, Nate Jones, Adrian Lawrence, Representative Ro Khanna, Jill Filipovich, AJ, Michalka, Nicole Dennis, been what a wonderful conversation that was, and of course, Stephanie McNeil.
0: <laughs> we will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Guys, this is the most fun I've had on the show in a minute. Woo! Uh, Have a great rest of your day. Fuck the green book. Fuck the green book!